what are we going to do with Jesus? Um, and just by way of introduction, I remember Kenny and I, um, a big famous evangelistic preacher came into town, and he was at a big super rock venue in San Diego, uh, just this huge, huge uh, like sports arena area. And uh, we went to hear him, and dude, the music was on point. It was a really fun night. They even had like fog machines. It was cool, like really, really cool concert style thing. The preacher got up, and he said some really good stuff, some awesome stuff. One of the things he was talking about is how we can just get lost in our life, and we need a plan for our life. And There was some really good stuff in there. And then he kind of got to this place in the sermon where he started talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And the way he described it was interesting. He said that um, Jesus wants you to be successful in this life. In fact, Jesus wants you to own your own house. You guys don't need to be living in debt and renting a house. Jesus wants you to own your house. In fact, he wants you to own all the houses on your block. And I quote, serious. And, and I was like, I was like, that's cool. I like to hear that, definitely. I would like to own all the houses on my block, especially since they're apartment buildings. I'd be doing very well. Um, but, but then the, the struggle came, like Kenny and I talked about, it was like, how does that jive with Jesus saying, like, to leave your life and follow him? Or when Jesus seems to make his altar calls, he says stuff like, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. It's like, it's not dying to myself to, to own all the houses on my block, you know, in that sense. And then, he, right kind of in the crescendo of that, building it up about your health, your wealth, your life here on earth, he said, so how many of you want to receive Christ? And dude, there was a massive response. Everybody was like, I want to receive Christ. I'll take all the houses on my block, right? So there was this interesting approach to what it means to receive Christ. What, what does it mean to receive Christ? Have, have you received Christ? Today's text, John 7, before we get into the text itself, let's talk about this for a moment, because receiving Christ is actually a biblical way of saying that you are going to follow Jesus, and especially in the Gospel of John. I'll show you a couple of examples. John 1, 11 through 13. You guys remember this? We covered this a few months back. He came to his own, and his own people received him not, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in this verse, it says receiving Jesus is the same, essentially, as believing on his name. What is his name? His name is his whole identity. It's this whole concept of who Jesus is, everything about him. So receiving him is to believe in all that he is. A.W. Tozer, if you haven't read Tozer, read Tozer. But A.W. Tozer says this. I love this quote. I have it on the screen. To accept Christ, we accept his friends as our friends, his enemies as our enemies. 
His ways as our ways, his rejection as our rejection, his cross as our cross, his life as our life, and his future as our future. So it's, in, in, in a sense, in a very real sense, it's actually unhealthy to create an atmosphere where people think they are saved by receiving Jesus as Savior when they actually reject him in all the other areas of their life. Receiving Jesus means receiving Jesus for all that he is, for who he really is. Savior, Lord, King, marriage therapist, marriage counselor, financial counselor, vocational counselor. Financial planner, your nutritional specialist, your, your wardrobe consultant, everything, every aspect of your life to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to believe on him, to receive him is to receive all that he is. And to try to pick and choose the things about Jesus that we find convenient to receive. And rejecting all the rest is not actually to receive Jesus as it, as it really is, right? We tracking? So do you know what that's like? It's exactly what the crowd is like here. And we're going to see this in the text. Austin's going to read it. There's at least three kinds of people we're going to see in the crowd as we read. So pay attention. And, and let's see if you can pick them out. Also, also ask yourself this. Ask yourself, which one, which group in this crowd do I identify with most? Okay? Austin, go for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Jesus, you are good. Holy Spirit, you are good. Work here today, Lord. May your will be done. I pray that we would hear the words of Jesus and that it would be life, that it would be life-giving, and that it would be good news. Help us today, Lord, not to just hear the word, thinking that in the words themselves we have eternal life, but that these things testify to you, Jesus. We love you, and we ask for these things in your name. Amen. If you're following along, I'll be reading through John chapter 7. Verses 10 through 31. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Hmm. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one, who speaks the, glo- the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon! Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may may not be broken, are you angry with me 
because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man who they seek to kill? And, and here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Thanks, Austin. Give Austin a hand clap real quick. Good reader, man. Um, so this week I got a text from John. He sent me a text. He said, hey, man, there's this article I want your thoughts on. It was an article in Charisma magazine by... Uh, Chelson Vicari called, Here's How the New Christian Left is Twisting the Gospel. And she's talking about these new generations of Christianity. And she said this quote, she said, They're slowly attempting to give evangelicalism an update, and the change is not for the good. She talked about two main groups she sees in emerging Christianity, and there's the one that picks and chooses kind of which parts of Scripture they like, and then which ones kind of collide with culture. They just kind of leave those off to the side. And then she talked about this other one. This other one is basically entrenching in their beliefs, in their views, and isolating from culture. So one is trying to be gracious, and because of that they're throwing out the truth, and another is trying to hold on to truth and basically starting to lack grace. And I, I couldn't help, as I read that, to, to question, like, isn't there a third way? Isn't there a way that would speak to us today? And I think we find it here in the text. We find these groups that are following Jesus. Um, we see three kinds of people in the crowd. The group that says, he's not, or he's good. Yeah, he's a good man. There's a group that says, he's not good. He's leading people astray. And in the third group, we see right at the very end in verse 30 that says, He's God. We believe. And at first, the people in the crowds, they're whispering this. Verse 12 says they're muttering. Verse 13 says it's for fear of the religious leaders. They're scared, so they're whispering. Uh, I was reminded of this this week when we went to, to the jacuzzi. Um, so we go there. We hang out sometimes on Sunday nights with the kids because, alas, our apartment complex does not have a pool if I owned all the apartments on my block, I might have access to a pool. Um, I'm sitting there in the jacuzzi, chilling, all three kids in there, Gavin with his floaties, and I'm reading a book, got my towel propped up, and, and all of a sudden I hear, like that, and I was like, well, that was weird. Um, I thought it was one of the kids, and then I heard it again, and I turned around, and there's this, this dude with a margarita sitting in the jacuzzi, just with his eyes closed, going, <laughs> I looked at my kids 
And, and all of them are like, <laughs> even Gavin was like, <laughs> and I was like, hey guys, uh, you ready to go? You know, because this guy, had, it wasn't his first margarita. Um, it's pretty apparent. And so we start getting out. Well, his wife comes walking up, and she's helping him out of the pool. And uh, thank God she was helping him. I was afraid he's going to fall. And to my horror, I look to my left, and Nancy's going like this and just staring. And I was like, babe, don't stare. And she goes, she goes what? <laughs> don't stare. Don't stare. What are you, what are you talking about? Stare? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Because apparently she wasn't staring. She was just lost in the moment. You ever just get caught up in a gaze? And she was just get, thinking about something. And I thought she was staring at the drunk guy. I was so embarrassed. And I'm whispering, and she's like, what? Yeah, awesome, awesome. It, it, it reminded me of kind of like what's going on in this crowd. These people are whispering, like, shh, where's Jesus? I don't know. Some people say he's good, but he's leading people astray. You know, they got the whispering going on. They're muttering. And uh, again, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. We talked about this last week. Jesus' brothers are like, hey, this is a great time for you to go up there, work some miracles, do some teaching, you know, really get a following. If you want to make a name for yourself, this is the place to be. This is the people to be around. And then it says in in verse 5 of the chapter, yet his brothers did not believe on him. Right? And so, and now this crowd, the hushed secrets, and Jesus walks in, and in verse 15, in the middle of this, he starts teaching. And how do people respond? Well, I think in order to kind of grasp why they respond the way they do, um, it would be kind of like if I, with all of my teaching prowess and medical knowledge, walked up to UCSD to a medical symposium and stood up, just walked up in front of all the doctors and just started teaching a bunch of medical stuff. How do you think they would respond? Who's this guy? I Who's he think he, where did he even study? Where did he get his PhD from? Who's he to talk to us about all this stuff? That's basically what they're saying about Jesus. Now, if I went up to UCSD and tried to do that, it would be horrible because I know nothing about medicine. Um, I know you take Tylenol when you have a headache, but that would be it. And so if I'm trying to describe the depths of medicinal practices to medical health practitioners, they would look at me cross-eyed. Uh, because I know nothing about it. But that's not what happens here in this text, right? Well, you actually see, like, Im- imagine if I actually said things that blew people's mind. Imagine if I was saying things that were on, beyond the cutting edge of medical technology, and people are like, who is this guy? That's a little more akin to what's happening here in this moment. And the first crowd, <laughs> they're from New York. The first crowd tells us what they think of Jesus, right? It says um, that they say he's a good man, he's good. This is, this is the relativist view. And you see this with his brothers early on in the chapter who love the miracles, they love the teaching, they see him do all this stuff, yet they still don't believe on him. He's a great miracle worker. I love what he does. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. And it stops there. He gives us what we want, but we don't believe on him. And this is what he keeps running into. Remember back in chapter 6 when he multiplied the, the loaves and the fish? And people were like, yes, 
They're ready to like, make him king, it says at one point, to enthrone him. And then he says, no, 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 no. You guys can't just want me for my miracles and for my bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm the true and better bread of life. You got to want me, not just my miracles. And they all check out and they all leave, right? That's the same kind of thing that's happening. We love you for your gifts. We love you for your magic tricks. But we don't love you. We don't believe on you. And what does Jesus say? He says three things through this passage. And he repeats them over and over. He says, they're judging by appearances. Right? They're only looking on the outside, the superficial, like we talked about last week, the worldly, what's temporary, what's, what's momentary. And their motivation is to what? To seek their own glory. How? Through living their own way apart from God. They want all of God's gifts without the giver, right? They want to enjoy life without God over them. Leaving, picking and choosing, right? Taking pieces of him, taking pieces of his teaching that they like and leaving the parts they don't like. It would be kind of like if the people at that event that Kenny and I had gone to heard the health and wealth gospel and were like, yes, I'm in, I'm following Jesus. And then Jesus showed up on their doorstep a week later and was like, I want you to follow me. I want you to sell everything you have. How would they respond? Wait, that's not the Jesus I signed up to follow. What's going on there? What version of Jesus are we accepting? One of my favorite, all-time favorite movies, I think it's right up there with Godfather and Pretty in Pink, is Talladega Nights. (laughs) You guys remember the prayer scene around the table? Dear sweet baby Jesus with your golden fleece diapers. And he's praying to baby Jesus, right? And his wife like butts in and she's like, he grew up, he has a beard. He goes, I like to pray to baby Jesus. When it's your turn to pray, you can pray to whatever version of Jesus you like. And then Cal jumps in, his buddy, you know, shake and bake, and he's like, I like to imagine my Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. Because it says, you know, like, I'm serious, but I know how to party. Because, and he says, quote, I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. There's so much truth in that saying. Here's the deal. Like, that's funny, but that's exactly what the crowd is doing. Right? They want this picture of Jesus like they want. They want to take the parts that they like and leave the rest. But that's, that's missing out on so much of him and the life he came to bring and the joy and the hope he has for every area of your life. It's a truth that's it's tough to swallow at first, but it's totally liberating, guys, and that's this. You can either have all of Jesus or in the end you end up having none of him. Trying to take the parts of him never works. It's kind of like Tim Keller talks about the cardboard cutout God. It's like, I love to take these parts of Jesus and these parts and I put them together and make this mod podge. It's awesome. I leave the rest and then I've got this really cool cardboard cutout of Jesus over here in the corner that I can talk to and I can pray to. But the problem is, like, does that cardboard cutout ever talk back? Can it challenge you? Can it actually be God for you? Because if If Jesus is God, he's going to challenge you in some ways, right? 
And ultimately, this group in the crowd, they choose to kill him. Jesus says, you're trying to kill me. They killed the good man who holds up a mirror, who says, this is what your heart's like. This is what's going on in your heart. And he offers them himself, his very life, not just his gifts. And they're like, no thanks. I don't want you. I'm better off with you out of the way. So, so let me ask you a question. And this sermon's really only going to work as we apply it. So I'm going to ask a discussion question. I want to hear what you guys think. What are some ways that we do this in our lives? What are some ways we do this in our lives? The cardboard cutout God, the relativist approach to Jesus. I'll take parts, but not the whole. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Jesus, you're invited to be my house guest, but stay out of the West Wing. That's, yeah. Good. That's so good, David. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. We take the good, but we hide the bad. Mm. You know, things in our past that we're ashamed of. Mm. Yeah, so we, we let Jesus be Lord over the good places of our life and see all these parts, shine a light on them, but we keep this part kind of hidden back here, like a magician with sleight of hand. You know, it's possible to try to use him for being forgiven or have salvation and then not really care about what he taught you. Yeah, that's great. That's great, yeah, Brian. Like, so essentially, I think what you're saying is like, we love Jesus for the afterlife insurance, for fire insurance, for heaven. Um, but when it comes to this life and his teachings and what actually hits the ground on Monday morning, that's when we're like, eh. Yeah. Good. Yeah. What else? The vices he asked us to give up? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. What were you saying, Tom? Especially money. Especially money. That's why Jesus talks about it so much, right? Because where our money is really shows where our heart is. So it's, it's pretty, you want to talk to somebody about where their heart is, you talk about money, and it really, yeah. That's why churches never, like, never talk about money. Scary. It always gets quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. What are some other ways? Some other ways we do this in our life. I think I mean, I've taken Jesus most often as a good teacher that teaches us how to be good even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preaching this good news and having people whisper or, or say things to my face mm. um, and reject me. But, like, I accept the accepting part of Jesus, but I reject that Jesus calls me to be Hmm. That's, yeah. Wow. Wow. 
totally can't relate to that. Yeah, I love the parts of Jesus that call me to be accepted and loved. God is love. He loves you, right? But then the parts that would call me to come and die, the parts that would call me to leave my life, to follow him in a mission, something bigger and greater than myself, it sounds like death to me. So I don't, I don't follow. I reject that part. Yeah. Mm, reject the suffering. The pain. Yeah. Be foolish, be weak, be powerless. Blessed are those, right? All the Beatitudes, and then we think that we can do it better. Yeah. I love where you're going, Jesus, but I got a shortcut. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mm. You're used to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we get caught up in the things of this earth. And that comes in between us and actually accepting Jesus as he is. As Lord and Savior over every area of our life. There's a second group, too. A group that says he's not good. He's not. He's leading people astray, the moralists. The religious leaders in verse 30, the others in the crowd in verse 12. He breaks our rules. He heals on the Sabbath. He turns people away. He's leading people astray. He must have a demon because he doesn't fit into our religious box. Right? And Jesus says they're only looking on the outside. They're judgmental. They're prejudiced. They're opposed and their motivation is what? To seek their own glory. How? They live through their, their own way of rule-keeping moralism and formulaic religiosity. Rule-keeping, formulas. We hate what you are doing because it challenges what we're doing. Or, maybe another way to say it is, we like what you're doing, but it's not enough. I need to add my own goodness. I need to add my own performance. And ultimately, they choose to kill him. They choose to kill the good man who holds up a mirror and shows him their heart. Who offers them himself, not just a do-it-yourself way to God. It's not just like, go get your DIY-like book and, and figure it out. Here's the formula, here's the shortcut, here's the steps. But he says, I am the way. That's what he says in John 14, 6. No thanks, your way's too easy. Your grace is just is too scandalous. We, we prefer lists. We like rule books. We like shortcuts. We like formulas. No thanks, I don't want you. I'm, 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, and people in a moralistic mindset tend to reject how easy it is to receive the grace of Christ. What, what are some ways we do this in our lives? Did she just said one? What are some other ways? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus plus something. Yeah. What's that book titled by Tulian? Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Yeah. I wish I had that mindset all the time. There's so many times, though. It's like, yeah, what Jesus did is great. It's awesome. And... Now i got to do these things in order to be good, in order to be made right, in order to be acceptable enough. Anybody? Yeah. I'll just, uh, to that point, I remember, um, tell a quick story. I remember walking, my dad and I, I was like 15, and we went to Muscle Beach. You guys ever been to Muscle Beach? Any of you? Okay. Go sometime. It's crazy. There was all kinds of stuff. There was a dude who breathed fire. That was awesome. Sword swallower. I saw this dude who literally, he had like 15 instruments, drumsticks like taped to his elbows while he played the guitar, and he was singing and beat it by Michael Jackson, and my man was pulling it off, man. He was on point. But the thing that really caught my mind that day and, and really like captured my attention was this plate spinner. Have you ever seen a plate spinner? Plate spinners, it's awesome. Like you put the stick down and you get this ceramic plate. It's like if it falls, it's gonna break. You know, he, whew, he spins it. And, and we're like, ooh, that's amazing. But then he didn't stop there. He went and got another stick, put a plate on it, whew, started spinning it. And then he got another one, and he started spinning it. And then he ran back to this one and started spinning it. And then he ran over to this one and he put another one down. By the time he was done, he had like 15 plates spinning, and he kept running back and forth and spinning all the plates. It was amazing. And you know what? That's exactly how a lot of us approach Christianity. Isn't it? It's like, man, God, you're so good. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the gospel. Now, um, you know, a missionary comes to the church and, like, their teeth are falling out and stuff because they've been in the jungle for, like, years and they haven't brushed their teeth. And they're like, man, i got to give to missions. So you put your giving plate down and you start spinning it. Anybody? And you're like, oh, oh, dude, I don't pray enough. I need to start praying. Let me put my prayer plate down and just start spinning that. And pretty soon, your whole version of Christianity has gone from this vibrant relationship of trust in Jesus and the gospel to a bunch of performance. And you know it's that way when, like, a plate falls and breaks. Right? A plate falls and breaks, and it's like you get into this good day, bad day Christianity. It's like I have my good days when... You know, I'm like driving to work and the Shekinah glory is in my car. <laughs> just singing along, you know, and, and God is here. He's in this place. But then you get the bad day and you wake up late and you're on your way to work and a guy cuts you off and give him the symbol for one God, you know. <laughs> you're like, shoot, I got to repent. You know, you get in this good day, bad day Christianity and it loses the essential, simple trust, the justification faith, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And it becomes all this other stuff. Right? Yeah, what are, 
I just took that and ran with it. Yeah, Kenny. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. I can preach it to others. I can tell them about how gracious he is, but when it comes to that thing I did, yeah, I've got to earn my way back. I've got to repent really hard. I've got to get really angry at myself, or I've got to do a lot of good works and do extra prayer. Yeah. Good. What are some other ways that we do this, guys? Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Some of the earliest missions movements would go into a certain place and they had their um, perception as a culture of what it looked like to dress modestly and so they would impose that modesty on a tribe in the jungle that never had any kind of modesty and all of a sudden you know, they're wearing, like, the full, like, Amish garb, you know, walking through the jungle. And it's definitely, like, something that can happen where we take parts of our culture and we force them in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christianity, on others around us instead of the grace of Christ being enough and letting them walk with that and struggle through that, the Holy Spirit in their life. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah. So, um, the gospel has two thieves. And I want to say this kind of, this is that last point I want to make today, that if you are lacking joy, if you are lacking power in your walk, power over sin, joy in the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you something. It, It can be recovered today. It can be. And I think how it gets jacked up, how our joy gets lost, how we start to struggle and feel powerless comes back to something one of the early church fathers said. Um, Has anybody heard of Tertullian? Tertullian said this quote. I love this. He says, Just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. What's he saying? Errors. What's he saying? He's saying there's two basic ways of thinking about Jesus that rob, that steal the joy and the power and distinctiveness of Jesus and the gospel from us. These two errors are very powerful. Why? Because they represent the human heart. They represent the natural bent of our heart and how we choose to see Jesus. And we tend to slide into one of these or the other. And the two thieves are relativism, which we saw with that first group, also known as lawlessness or, or hedonism apart from Christ. And the second one is moralism or, or legalism or, or Gnosticism. One stresses truth without grace. Obey in order to be saved. Here's a formula to fix that. Do this in order to become something. That's the oldest line in the book, guys. That goes back to the serpent, doesn't it? 
If you eat this fruit, you will become like God's. If you do something, you can become something else. That goes back to Genesis, the first two, three chapters. And then the second one stresses grace without truth. It says, we're all just accepted by God if there is a God, if they believe in one. We're all accepted by God as we are, and we have to decide what is true for us, what is right and wrong. Sound familiar? Goes back to that oldest lie back in the garden. Grace without truth is not really grace, and truth without grace is not really truth. But what do we see in Jesus John says that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. John 1.14. So any worldview, any view you have in your life that de-emphasizes one or the other quickly slides into legalism or lawlessness. And the joy and the power of the gospel are lost. So if you feel a lack of joy or power in your faith, I want you to take a second and look at the content of your faith. What are you believing? What do you actually believe about Jesus? Who he is, what he's done for you. What parts of your life have you actually entrusted to him and which parts are you holding back? Fortunately for us, John leaves us an example of this third group. I love this third group. They say this. They say, he's God. See that in verse 30. His disciples summon the crowd. They say, he is the Messiah. And what do they do? Well, firstly, they stop looking just on the outside. Like Jesus has said, these other two groups are. And they accept him as he is. They accept him as he is. Jesus says, you can't, you can't see. You're looking on the outside. You're not judging with right judgment. He says that in verse 17, right? If anyone, look at verse 17, he says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. What's he saying? He's saying that if we want life, if you want joy, if you want to know the truth, if you want to find your way, we have to be willing to fully submit to God, to come to an end in ourselves and surrender our wills, to lay it all down. And guys, that's a work of the Spirit. Good news today, you can't make it happen for yourself. You can't make yourself believe. But maybe, maybe right now in this moment, you feel the Spirit warming your heart, calling you to make Jesus your all. Do you feel that right now? Do you feel God warming your heart toward the gospel? If so, I want to tell you, don't harden your heart. Just don't miss your moment. Take a moment and surrender. The second thing that Jesus says all these groups have done is that they've lived for their glory. But this group says, no, I'm giving up my glory. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm surrendering. I'm not going to look for my life through him anymore, but I'm going to surrender my life to him. Right? I'm not trying to turn this relationship he's given me into just a formula or a list of rules. I want Jesus. I just want him. I want all of him for all of my life. Can you say that today? I want all of who you are for every area of my life. I'm ready to surrender it all again. I'm ready to follow you. I don't just want religion. I want a relationship with a loving Father. I want Him as my Savior. And thirdly, lastly, they stop asking, how can we ignore Him? How can we dethrone Him? How can we kill Him? 
and get him out of the way. And they start asking, like they do in this chapter, why are people trying to kill him? And this group, you know who they become? They eventually become those who are weeping as Jesus is crucified, as Jesus goes through a mock trial, as the other people in the crowd are shouting crucify him and the Pharisees are judging him. And the Romans beat and bludgeon him to death and crucify him and murder him. They weep. And then they become those first followers who see him alive after the resurrection. And they end up in a, in a room with 120 followers as the Holy Spirit gets poured out and it spills onto the street. And guess what? Their faith spills out onto the street. They become the people who spread the gospel all throughout the then-known world. They start living for the glory of God. And they're willing to suffer the loss, suffer loss of friends, suffer loss of status, suffer loss of, of comfort. And eventually, a lot of them are beaten. A lot of them are forced to recant or to be fed to lions. Tertullian has another quote. He said, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the world will never be the same. Why? Because they received Jesus as he was. They surrender. They looked past their appearances and saw the Lamb of God. They stopped living for their glory and sought God's glory. When you catch a vision for Jesus Christ as he is, it radically changes your entire life. That's how the world was changed. So I'm going to ask it again one more time. What does it mean to receive Christ? Have you, have you in fact received Jesus? Last, last part of the discussion before we pray and take communion. Um, I just want to ask you guys, what, what is your biggest takeaway from what we've talked about today, from what we've heard today? What, what's standing out in your heart, in your life? Hmm. Yeah. Do I accept Jesus for all of who he is? And if not, where, where am I not? Yeah. Anybody else? David. That's so good, man. Yeah. Take inventory. Mm. John. Mm. 
That's it, man. That's it. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's the one who gives us faith, right? And then he's the one who empowers us to continue to trust in Jesus, to continue to look to him, to continue to surrender. Without the Holy Spirit, we're sunk big time. Yeah. It's by the Spirit's power we, any of this happens. Thanks, John. Anybody else? Marco. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. Amen to that. Austin? so good, man. I think even like at the beginning when we say, turn to somebody and say, do you accept me or will you accept me? Like, firstly, that's awkward. Secondly, it's unnerving to put yourself out there like that with people, right? Yet Jesus is willing to do it because he is so settled in the acceptance of the Father, like you're saying. He's so settled in that. He's, he doesn't need anything else to justify him. He's, his reason for living is justified because the Father's pleased with him, right? And we have that in Christ. Yeah, it's good. Brian. I love whatever you just said right now. <laughs> the, con- the conservation of what? Angular momentum. Angular momentum. Wow. That's why I'm not speaking at UCSD. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. How can I proclaim the risen Christ in my life? It's so good. Yeah. It's not just with words. It's with action. That's what James is all about, right? Read James. Let's close out. Let's close out with a prayer. Um, and then I want to provide a time for you guys to like really come down. As we come down together with, with gospel communities or with your DNA group or your spouse or significant other, like as we come down, I just, I want to encourage you guys to ask yourselves, how, how does this actually hit the ground today and tomorrow? What am I actually going to do in light of this? How's this changed my life? 
hearts. Let's, let's pray. And you guys stand with me while we pray? Um, oh. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you perfectly obeyed so that we would be free from moral performance-based approach to God. We don't have to be like the moralists in this chapter. Our hearts can be freed from that because you perfectly obeyed the Father. You lived a life in the flesh that was perfect. And we get to remember that and proclaim that to ourselves as we take the bread today. Remember that. We're not just forgiven of all of our sin, but we're actually given your righteousness. You became sin. You were crucified so that we would be free from the crippling misguided desires and addictions that lure us away from you, like the relativists. We're free from the things that would diminish our life and our relationship with you. Thank you so much. We stand here forgiven. We stand here given your righteousness. And Lord, I pray if any of us, if we've heard all this before, I pray we wouldn't be callous to it. I pray we wouldn't be immune to it. Jesus, let your gospel warm our hearts right now. As we look at your love and grace for us, let our hearts melt in worship of your love and your grace. Spirit, empower us to obey today. Please. Out of a new heart, revived by your grace, Holy Spirit, empower us to live a life that is looking beyond just the exterior and the superficial and actually sees you and that seeks your glory through regular worship and relationship, God. Empower us to, to crown you as king each day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want all of you for all of my life, every area. In Jesus' name we pray.